0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Red and Villa, a series focused on innovation in Asia. Today we have Barnish Prabhu as our guest, 38 years of financial services experience, over 22 years of Citigroup Consumer Bank International, um, where he rose to the C-suite as a Chief Technology and Chief Operating Officer across 55 countries, covering 80 million customers. He was part of Citigroup's Information Technology, technology Leadership Council and Planning Group through the period. Since then, he's set up global ops and tech centers across the world and has had significant tech exits with iFlex and Orient Pro. He serves as a senior advisor to Boston Consulting Group and now he's a partner at Greenshows Capital. Thanks for join- joining us, Vaneesh, today. Thank you. So let's start with uh, um, your career so far. So over two decades at Citigroup, running their tech and ops, um, several e- tech exits, and now you are into the startup space. Um, so what motivates you?
1: Uh, I think, um, you know, considering my professional background has been less operations and technology, uh, I've spent all my life running operations and technology through the evolution for many decades of the technology journey. But you know, what really motivates me is a combination of technology and customer experience. I think uh, from early stages, we've seen continuous change in the way in which customers are serviced using new technology. Um, we've seen changes, you know, I've sort of had the fortune of seeing these changes from the early days, where in many of the countries that I managed, we pretty much had to start new businesses, like, say, a credit card business, which never existed. But from an operations perspective, things like ATMs, needed to be actually, you know, implemented in those markets for the first time. Educating customers to move from tellers to ATMs, I'm talking about several decades back. (laughs) Today, it's very standard. But also, if you see the journey of moving away from branch to less branch by implementing 24 by 7 call centers, um, you know, a, a lot of them, of course, for Citibank, where most of my experience has been, but to implement uh, what used to be called city phone in many countries and then actually making the city phone more and more efficient to be able to handle just about all customer services or needs, uh, along with the ATMs for cash, became a very interesting proposition in many markets around the world. But how technology in the call center also evolved a lot and new CRM solutions came and have mm-hmm. had the good fortune of dealing with many, many legacy CRM solutions along the way. And the complexity of managing them over those years, uh, You know, just like we had the IVRs and trying to make the call center more efficient was one part of the journey. And then came the internet and the enormous opportunity to make customer experience significantly better and easier using the internet banking as a, as a capability around the world. Uh, as we got more digital and technology there's always been a regulatory perspective and not just in one market but in many markets that have you know had to deal with and trying to convince regulators that we could still you know keep control of financial services in new technologies such as the internet became a very interesting journey and then of course with the advent of the iphone and the smartphones becoming more and more popular yeah. clearly the the customer experience for banking has moved to a mobile first approach mm-hmm. and we've seen enormous ev- evolution of capabilities on the mobile um, and now uh, an exciting time has come where I think uh, three or four things are happening. One is on the channel side we're seeing more and more people wanting to do things like chat banking and possibly early stages of voice banking using a lot of voice and chat capabilities which is going to revolutionize the way Customers interact with their financial institutions Mm -hmm. and more than financial institutions, I would say with their banking needs, because we're moving on the other hand to servicing customers, banking needs more than, uh, you know, just uh, having to deal with financial services. So you could actually get banking services fulfilled in many different places on social media or in e-commerce and several other areas and not don't have to necessarily wait to just go to the bank or contact the bank to make this happen. So I think with chat and voice, um, you know, there's going to be the next revolution of reduction in usage of the apps on the phone, as more and more in different ways of interaction happen. Um, so along with that, obviously, there is a very exciting time from a, from a bank perspective uh, to be able to move forward and make the technology and the opportunity that exists today work for them. Uh-huh. Uh, less they get disrupted or marginalized. Uh, so on one hand, I think uh, uh, we're seeing a lot more progress on infrastructure as a service on the cloud. Uh, it could be any variant of the cloud, could be a private cloud, could be a public cloud or a hybrid cloud. That's all actually a journey uh, for them to move their existing legacy infrastructure into a more efficient one, a more sure. scalable one, a more uh, cost-effective one, definitely. But most importantly, I think the cloud and its architecture, which is sort of more geared to an open banking model, Mm -hmm. uh, gives the ability for uh, both the bank and the customers to interact and actually get serviced for their needs better than we've ever had in the past. So the coming together of some of the original objective of open banking and where it's heading is really a significant architectural change along with the technology Mm -hmm. on the cloud. And this architecture gives you... an ability to provide end to end customer journeys more efficiently than ever before to the extent that some of these customer journeys are now being sort of subscribed as a as a service mm-hmm. and uh, can be sort of taken by the institutions and and so and sort of connected to their open platforms to to be able to pro- provide customers the ability to do things very easily mm-hmm. so i think uh, that's one important theme the customer experience changing The other two big important factors is broadly the marketplace and the ecosystem because there's lots happening in the marketplace. Uh, There's also a lot of disruption, some amount with fintech and some Mm -hmm. amount with big tech. I think the combination of ecosystem providers, social media providers, telecom providers, anybody actually who has data and uses data more efficiently Mm -hmm. is actually in a way a challenge to the financial institutions to be able to do things better than ever before. Sure. So I think none of these sort of themes I talked about is sort of on its own. It all sort of gets together to provide a significantly different operating model from what was there in the past. Okay. Uh, for the banks, it's important because it's not only about getting more customers, but it's also important uh, to retain existing customers. Mm-hmm. And we've seen very often in banking, uh, uh, you know, services that customers may just not close the accounts, so they're not really gone. So you could show a large customer base, but actually the activity, the transactions and the balances and you know, uh, the borrowing habits that they have may not actually go with that institution where the account sits and it pretty much sits there without any activity. So it's about ro- losing customers that uh, they have to pay attention to. Uh, and I think geographies and countries are changing quite significantly as regulation makes it easier and easier for uh, for them to have to deal with different new digital banks.
0: Um, so we have open banking in Europe mm-hmm. and we have challenger banks largely taking off in Europe mm-hmm. and we have these super apps kind of model yep. that's taking off as well. But if you look at uh, in Asia, especially Alibaba, Tencent, um, they have largely started as a lifestyle business. Uh, we have a bunch of other uh, Asian economies where lifestyle businesses are uh, getting into payments and fintechs, mm. and now we have Facebook's Libra. So, how do you see this? These large tech companies mm. uh, eating into the margins of banks?
1: Yeah. So, I think uh, we've seen in certain geographies, uh, whether it's in China with uh, with the whole Alibaba or Similarly, with Amazon and several markets, uh, you know, including India and other places. Yeah. I think their ability, you know, they sort of have created a culture which uses a lot of what I spoke about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there was one theme that we cannot, you know, not emphasize on, which is data. Uh, you know, banks have a lot of data, but what have they really done efficiently with it? Okay, uh, So I think uh, the new generation big tech companies Uh, And uh, also some very good fintechs have the ability to be able to use the four or five themes I spoke about more efficiently than the existing banks. They're born on the cloud. Mm, Their architecture is far more microservice or open API structured. They're more cloud native they have the ability to be agile and make changes very rapidly, not just because their technology architecture is efficient, but their business models and their listening and understanding customer needs and delivering those customer needs more efficiently is a continuous process. And it's a very agile process compared to uh, you know, the traditional bank's legacy platforms. I think the traditional bank's legacy platforms, while you know to some extent in my life, You know, we've had to create those legacy platforms. It's now about how do we modernize those legacy platforms and the opportunity to modernize cannot be done as a big bang. It has to be done progressively because the sheer cost and complexity of being able to unwind Mm -hmm. your old legacy uh, or your old engine or your old house, right? Versus building a new one. So I think uh, the, the... New generation of big techs and fintechs are born on the cloud. They use data far more efficiently. They provide service contextually at the right time to the customer. And, you know, like many people have quoted, customers need those services. They may not need a bank. So they're going to take those services from whoever's providing them to achieve their objective, which could be, you know, making payments more efficient or could be, you know, saving in a much better way or viewing their, you know, their, their financial sort of transactions more efficiently. I mean, we've got used to banking showing the statement of accounts and all that, but the reality is that, you know, statement of account is sort of like an audit trail. But what I really want to do is see my cash flows. I want to see all my inflows, outflows, help predict how I can manage my cash more efficiently. efficiently. And therefore the PFM and those kind of services make it easier for me to do that. So I think the the, the big techs and the fintechs bring that dimension of fulfilling the customer needs more efficiently mm-hmm. and of course banks are not lagging behind they are you know they are constantly trying to make the change happen to themselves mm-hmm. but very often you know the culture and the change that they want to make and make happen tends to be a patchwork rather than a complete suite of a new track Mm-hmm. that may be the big techs have, so, a, so have an advantage to do
0: on that point so what do you think banks what more do you think banks can do because they have tried partnering with fintechs but if you look at some of the um the moves that tencent and alibaba have made in recent times they have made investments into Um, N26, they've made investments into New Bank in uh, Mexico and uh, they're there aggressively, they've made investments into Paytm as well. So, uh, I'm not sure if banks are being as proactive in conquering some of those.
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's an interesting question because if you look at it internationally, right, there's been significant progress that the Chinese have made with their key big tech type companies in a lot of Southeast Asia, Asia and you know, trying to go beyond that uh, into into the new markets in Africa and Middle East and and definitely Europe and so on. So I think uh, uh, the the regulators, on the other hand, also their objective is to be able to open the market to fulfill customer needs better. Sometimes the traditional banks have not been able to rise up to the occasion and fulfill needs, particularly in the small and medium enterprise you know, uh, uh, area of helping small businesses succeed. Um, So if there are different models that are going to help the business succeed, they should, they were going to encourage them. So you've seen licenses being given in more and more markets. You've been given open banking mandates in more and more markets. But I think fundamentally the architecture has moved to a more open model. So the banks have to ask themselves, you know, a bunch of questions. Okay. One is, Is their technology roadmap or architecture clearly moving to a complete open model that competes the way a big tech does? Mm -hmm. If not, are they progressively modernizing it or they are setting up a dual sort of track that runs independently to their existing traditional model, whether they call it a challenger bank or a digital bank and through the track help modernize their their platforms. So... It's a it's a rather large change management initiative for them to approach, and they have to do it, you know, uh, uh, sensibly if they really want to, you know, take on some of the key technology and business themes that seem to be appearing in financial services. Uh, do they have? I mean, we all know that many markets around around the world there is, uh, you know, pressure on return on equity, return on, you know, investments for the banks. You know, uh, it's dropping in many markets, including in, you know, Asia in a recent report I saw. So I think uh, the need to be able to do this is also going to be important from a financial services performance perspective. And therefore, do they have clarity from a business leadership perspective that their culture and model of innovation and ability to run the dual track is delivered? So they ask themselves the question, are they willing to work in an open banking model with data as efficiently as a big tech can because they, you know, still don't, you know, do too much of big tech. There is this desire for banks to tick the box and say, I've launched a digital bank or another stream of people saying, you know, why do I need a digital bank? My app does everything, right? But if you actually look at the themes of architecture cloud connecting to the marketplace open you know from an open open marketplace uh, perspective or from an ecosystem perspective or even managing data more efficiently that whole track is not somehow you know getting together uh, in a way in which uh, a new bank I mean an existing traditional bank should be able to change to be able to deliver that so in my mind uh, it is essential for them to do that okay uh, and by just taking the boxing of launch a digital bank and not getting the business outcomes which we are seeing a lot of is not going to help totally so i think uh, you know they're still dealing with legacy platforms in the back end and they're saying okay i've got the ability to do all of this but that agility that understanding the customer experience you know it's never been a great strength of sure. financial institutions to be customer experience focused the way we want them to be We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore and innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us.
0: Super. Okay, so um, taking a slightly different topic, um, so you uh, continuously work between in the India UK corridor. So you work mm-hmm. on um, in, within the, uh, both the markets, um, and India, especially over the last three years um, since uh, demonetization uh, we've seen quite a lot of uh, digital payments uh, yeah. initiatives yeah. from the centre and from private sector. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a correlation or a causation from a demonetization to digital payments perspective that's mm-hmm. a thats a different argument but mm-hmm. um, there's, there's definitely been some huge um, uh, that's been an increase in the adoption towards digital uh, to, towards the digital economy in the last three years yeah. so what 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 makes India such a fascinating place we have Aadhaar we have um, the, the big market itself so what in your opinion makes it uh, such a fascinating place to do business yeah
1: um, I mean we all understand the the size and scale of the India business uh, and also the complexity of the country and its size and its its challenges, urban and rural and so on, plus across different industries, you know, still agriculture focused. Uh, A very interesting demographic situation of young people who, you know, uh, adopt things differently from uh, the others. And therefore, I think there is a, a significantly changing marketplace here. Now, I think a couple of factors have really helped. One is the, the government and the regulators with the whole Digital India effort and what they would call the digital stack uh, that has come up has significantly facilitated the customer to be able to do things more easier than they could ever do together, right? So I think in the payment side, for example, there have been great successes and I'm sure there have been you know great failures and they've been good and bad uh, in different areas. But payments and making payments easily and functionally available to customers, whether it's, you know, paying each other or it's paying the merchants or any combination of that, uh, I think is going to significantly make things easier for you to move away from cash. Though there's still a lot of cash in the marketplace and the regulators are consistently working on trying to reduce that. Uh, I think the 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 seamlessness of some of what they've done in their payment corporation capabilities to be able to manage payments easily is made an impact across the world that blended with, you know, uh, as you mentioned, the the other uh, example, uh, you know, so a couple of things obviously have got together, I think the other the payment capabilities uh, from a platform perspective the innovative payment capabilities mm-hmm. like the universal payment interface um, and uh, you know uh, and the creation of a local card scheme uh, all of which and 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 balanced with the fact that hundreds of millions i think last count i don't know 2 200 plus million or 300 million accounts opened yeah and, uh, making it and and some of that may be the outcome of demonetization Uh, But either way, that was a trigger to get people and the government and the government banking institutions to open more of these accounts. Now, are those accounts that are opened as active as they should be? I think, obviously, work in progress. Uh, Are they as cheap as they should be? Probably also work in progress because they are running on lots of legacy platforms and they're not necessarily running on a truly digital platform, which should be standardized, which should be you know, uh, uh, as one would say in today's technology terms, easy to configure and consume basic services for customers. So a lot of uh, uh, directional opportunities continue to exist to make that as the way to pay. Sure. And to your example of ATM, great success, great timing, great time, combination of things help. But the fact that the national technology stack supports the ability to make those payments and capabilities easily available are essential, otherwise it wouldn't happen. So I think uh, some amount of government influence and focus and effort and creating the stack is was good. The the security and identification model, you know, for uh, for the scale and opportunity of an other type, which makes it easier to manage things, including the the complexity of KYC and to some extent, you know, managing uh, money laundering and such activities is managed better uh, then you have the the payment uh, infrastructure being able to do things so while payments is significantly upgraded and 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 uh, you know uh, i would say disrupted in the marketplace and there's of course lots to do in every area yet uh, the opportunity of doing the same in lending it still needs to take a step up i mm-hmm. think lots of good things are happening on lending but using a combination of data, people both within the credit bureau, outside the credit bureau, using behavior, transaction behavior, uh, you know, normal behaviors of customers beyond transactions and looking at a combination of all of this in demographic equations, haven't really as much you know, uh, been upgraded as one would like. It's clearly a great opportunity to make money available for people much easier. Sure more so for small businesses, so that they can actually be the power they are for a country to move forward in their, in their you know, a growth. Because those are the ones who create the jobs. Those are the ones who create the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fully open for small businesses to get finance as easily and to be able to, you know, get evaluated easily and handled. You know, the rates are way too high. And the way in which, you know, uh, uh, The principles have to be repaid, puts pressure on cash flows, and there isn't a very good enough way to help facilitate that in the market. So clearly, there's a massive opportunity on the lending side, both for small businesses and for others. So I think lending is still, you know, early stages of disruption in in India, but great opportunity because, you know, people will need finance to move forward and it will help the economy too significantly. And then comes the area... You know, of savings. Now, in a market where you need to rely on your own savings, uh, it may not be a lot of welfare there. You have to be able to create interesting savings opportunities. Uh, it's a very good market for things like mutual funds and all, as it's sort of got the infrastructure in place to make it quite easy. However, the ability for more people to save for either targeted savings, like we would call for saving spots or something yep. like that, uh, Offer specific saving requirements in their lifetime, right through to retirement. I think is another area That's of uh, of opportunity that is not as much disrupted as it should be, and is got you know a digital uh, uh, effort sure. in, in the in uh, what you could call savings management. Some may call it wealth management at the higher end. Uh, so I think that's the other area, the area which is making a bit of progress, but again, huge opportunity is insurance because the other important thing for a for a person is the ability to be secure for the various parts of his life, whether it's health or his life or or uh, you know any of his other uh, security needs. And I think uh, the ability to make insurance as easily available, you know, is happened in some ways. But I think the end to end experience, you know, has got lots more opportunities and uh, clearly the reach of customers is not yet touched on the way it should so so lots of things uh, uh, you know have happened and lots more you know obviously has to happen mm-hmm. to really bring uh, uh, to capture the opportunity arguably there could be a belief that you know china may have moved some of these faster than, than India. Oh, absolutely uh, and uh, uh, but you know i think uh, this is not about uh, really you know country versus country models but it's really about helping customers manage their life in a much better way than before and clearly where financial institutions don't fit fit the bill others will come and will have to be licensed to come in and you know play that game uh, more efficiently than uh, than the other uh, than the existing ones so i think uh, some fundamental uh, you know things uh, that need to be done i think a lot of opportunity in the supply chain space Therefore, new technologies, and we continuously hear the Reserve Bank looking for new technologies around blockchain and so on, may help manage the trade and the management of certain documents and uh, property registrations and all more efficiently than ever before with a good audit trail. Because there's always been a heavy paper-based type model, a rather inefficient model that may have one leg in private and public uh, domain the ability to use technology to fill the gap to make that efficiency happen mm-hmm. is important a lot of it is already happening there are lots of uh, you know uh, locations where you could go and manage government services electronically uh, the speed of change is you know been good because of this digital sort of india broad sort of umbrella effort but the opportunity therefore to make this more aggressively uh, you know uh, pursued to eliminate some of the weaknesses in the process. I think the the whole uh, share transfer, mutual fund transfer process is quite uh, efficient by way of uh, paperless, mm-hmm. though there's still heavy paperwork in the origination onboarding side of things. Sure. Um, while that's good and bad, I think it needs to be streamlined a lot better. Uh, similarly, I think uh, uh, there's an op and, and clearly there's lots of the paperwork still in things like insurance i think the merger between insurance and wealth or savings is another area which needs much better has shows quite a lot of opportunity for improvement of digitization and for new fintechs Um, so i think uh, uh, you know a variety of areas uh, of opportunity i think uh, uh, one will need leadership to continue to pursue these things but some of the basic frameworks are encouraging one important point we should always remember, right? With all of this change, there needs to be a good regulatory oversight.
0: So, you mentioned several times about regulatory um, oversight. So, be it India or be it the UK where we have FCA collaborating very well with uh, startups yeah. and or be it um, on the Monetary Authority of Singapore. They have done really good stuff with yeah. Uh, yeah. several Uh, piloting initiatives. So what do you think are are the uh, takeaways from that? So how do you think the regulators... So I think
1: like we've seen over the years, we bring in different things, right? I mean, I gave you examples of the, the years when we started the ATMs onwards, right? I mean, there were new fraud type of capabilities that enter. Now with this whole data, this open marketplace, the ecosystems, the social media, there is clearly and enough cases that we are seeing already. There's enough... Risk to data protection. There's enough risks to privacy, you know, issues. Mm-hmm. So the combination of <clears throat> making data both secure um, and uh, and continuously battle the the groups of people around the world that are trying to come in and use the data for you know for doing things that may not necessarily be correct. Um, uh, I think. Uh, Important now, somewhere down the road, we've also looked at data over the years in a very open way, and uh, we expect you know people to just accept certain uh, cookies and certain, uh, you know, uh, sort of give certain rights, whether it's uh, uh, you know rights which are geospatial or any such thing, very easily. And customers just normally, you know, click yes on that, not knowing the impact that. How much of that information is being used for whatever purposes, right? Um, uh, you know, so I think there's an element that needs to look through and figure out how some of the platform providers, in this case, the you know the apples of the world, control the way in which their apps, which is really the door that they have opened through the app store, that's got lots of benefits. But how do they also control some of this? data in a more educative easy way for customers mm-hmm. you know we're already seeing with open banking the customer you know suddenly being told that they act it is actually their data and not necessarily the financial institutions data that they are they can consent to share and the you know institutions will may need to share some of that data so i think uh, we haven't really cracked this issue as to you know how do we easily explain to the average customer what is safe, what is not safe? How do we force that? You know, do we make it more cumbersome for them to, you know, for their data to be used by people for various purposes? You know, uh, uh, you know, in some way, uh, to the extent that do we monetize it too, and do we give back money to the customer for the data that is being used for various things? Mm, right. Exactly. So I think there's. There's a lot here on the data side that that I think needs to evolve. Uh, Plus, I think it's not consistent globally. Um, So I think this is a real area of uh, both challenge and opportunity. And uh, I don't think uh, the technology has has sort of grown up to be able to manage this side of the equation as efficiently as it should. Uh, There are, you know, limited standards. At best, there are standards in financial services where you say there's multi-factor authentications and other type of authentications that help safeguard customers. But I think the the whole concept is not so much about just dealing with your bank because you're dealing with all these third-party providers yes. and the big techs where the extent of your data and how it's going to be used for what isn't, exactly. isn't as clear to the customer as it should be. Now, how yes. do we make that more transparent and easy to understand?
0: I think is a big challenge. I mean, data security perhaps was um, a topic of uh, a lot of interest like five, six years ago, but the last two, three years, we've seen quite a lot of data privacy um, concerns being raised. Great. So let's move on to the final question, if that's Mm -hmm. okay. So um, we are in this exciting journey together, and I feel very privileged to be partnering with you on Green shores capital. Um, So, tell us about your vision for Green shores in five years' time. Yeah, yeah. So, I think um, over a period of time, many
1: of us within within Green shores have done a lot of their own investments and have had good success. They come with a blend of experience of financial services and technology in some form. Uh, I think Green shores is uh, focused on actually at two or three key principles. I think one is always looking and understanding what the companies that we invest in, the, the investee companies, uh, can bring to capture the various themes and discussions we spoke about earlier and how they could actually differentiate themselves in the marketplace and uh, you know either be a disruptor or build a business model that's unique what is the type of technology and business that they can put together to achieve those objectives? And uh, Greenshaws is here to help identify. Actually, many of them that we don't invest, we spend enough time in advising them on what we think yeah. are some of the challenges and opportunities. So that's equally important for us. So one is a, a broad level you know, advisory mentor, mentoring type thing for some that we, that we deal with. The ones we invest in, we are... Obviously, very keen to, to ensure that they are successful. So, our engagement in helping them, uh, you know, whether it's in a technology or it's in the business plan or the model or the scaling up of the sales, um, etc., will is critical. But the one of the most interesting things that Greenshore's uh, does very well is actually helping them internationalize, because I think uh, clearly, you know, more and more fintechs tend to be very focused on their local marketplace. And how do we take some of these great successes, build business models to implement them in different countries, which will involve different partnerships, mm-hmm. uh, different business operating models, subsidiaries, joint ventures, whatever comes out. So I think that's another thing that Great Shores will play an important part in doing, uh, which is to actually you know, do some type of an international business development type model uh, with the right partners in different markets if there's a great plan and a great model that should sure. scale up uh, also i think uh, from a from a greenshaws perspective it's filling in some mix between which is not just going to be a financing sort of uh, you know a company it's really a uh, making that business successful as long as we continue obviously to be engaged in it sure um, is is very important for us so all the people that really want to invest in this, really, you know, we believe that if they want to invest something that they believe could be, could either have their own involvement based on their experience, or to look at certain part of their overall investments in something that obviously is a greater risk, but a longer term. But but participating in a next generation business model, you know, they, they they are the type of people who seem interested in. Working with sure. So, I think for us, uh, it's a combination of capturing this very interesting opportunity in FinTech. And to some extent, there's a thin line between FinTech and IoT and all in some areas. So, just capturing the right combination to make that happen, I think is is what uh, Windshows is open for.
0: Great. So, with that, let's close the session. So, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you.